Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. I apologize straight off the bat for those that are watching on YouTube that I will be complaining about Trump, and I feel like you lose a touch of credibility when you complain about Trump with as much of a tan as I have. I, 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 I didn't intend to get, this was an accident. I've, it's been sunny here the last couple of days, and I've been taking the dog on the beach for long walks and just been out a lot, uh, you know, outside enjoying the sun, sitting on my deck, and I find myself too dark, which is, for those that aren't watching, this is not a gloat. This is almost a, a paranoia of mine because, well, I mean, I really am, you know, quite brown. And I'm wearing like a fluorescent green shirt, which is accentuating the darkness. But now that that's out of the way, welcome back, everybody. It's great to be back. Exciting times. The Shift podcast got a mention on the Sean O'Rourke show today, RT1. Um, new episode of The Shift went up on Monday night to Tuesday morning. Uh, Wednesday today. Sorry for the delay. Since Saturday, we haven't done an episode here. Um, I kind of got a little backed up with uh, you know, video. The video it really adds quite a lot to, to the, the process. And I got actually a little bit of a... Uh, like like not an aversion, but you know my my computer got full, and i I realized that because I got a new Mac, and you know Macs are great, but they're annoying too, because you know that they've changed the bloody inputs, and I realized that my uh I don't have an adapter for the input that my um, external hard drive uses, so all throughout the process of doing these videos. I kept saying to myself, you're being lazy. You know you need to put these videos on external hard drive. You're going to end up with a hard drive on the Mac that's full, and you're going to regret it. And I, as everything, I procrastinated, procrastinated, and then it got full, and then I was you know, managing my storage, and now I've just run out of things that I can delete. And I finally literally go to get my external hard drive for the first time. You know, we're talking at least two weeks of like knowing that I need to get the external hard drive, and then when it's too late, I go to get the external hard drive. I realize I've no bloody cave. I've no way to connect it to this damn Mac. So that is actually the main reason why I had a bit of a delay. I just kind of started to, the editing started to become really annoying and uh, I resisted it. I resisted it. I resisted it. So here we are. We got a great episode today. Let me point out that um, I, I, uh, I have an interview on this episode with a, a doctor that works at New York Columbia Presbyterian. Uh, and uh, or Columbia, New York Presbyterian, um, Dr. Julia Yafate, and uh, she talks about what it's like to be on the front lines. Uh, normally wouldn't be on the front lines, 
but she uh, she volunteered to go to the ER. And so I talked to her just about the, the atmosphere in the hospitals in New York, because uh, I just wanted to get a firsthand account. Um, but before we do that, before we get into that, where do I begin with, with, with Trump at the moment? It's almost like, it's almost like too much. So let's just start with the WHO. So now he's, 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 defo- he's withholding $500 million from the WHO. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you've been watching all the reports saying that they're China-centric and, you know, they, they made mistakes. And we all know that they made mistakes. Literally every world government organization, people within the medical field have all got this wrong to a certain degree. Um, we know that. And obviously, the WHO has made some mistakes. But that is not the reason why Trump is uh, withholding the $500 million because it's one of many ways that he's trying to shift blame from the mistakes that he made. Which, of course, his initial mistakes wouldn't have been that much of a big deal if he had learned from them, as I've said many times, and changed his tune and focused on making things better. But instead of that, he focused the beginning after taking the action of shutting down flights from China, which was like an important but not that effective action. At best, it buys you time. And with the bought time, he did nothing. I know that if you watch any uh, world news at the moment, you know that uh, that's kind of the narrative now, isn't it? He squandered the, the bought time. Uh, he looks for the credit. The credit that was due for... Uh, stopping flights from China was, this is one of many actions that need to be taken. You took one of them well done. Now, what about the rest? Didn't take any other. But he looks for the credit uh, for shutting down flights from China, like as if that was the most important thing that any world leader has done anywhere, you know, any, anywhere in the last two months, uh, which of course it isn't. It's, it's, it's one check and then a number of, of X's on his report cards. Um, so, uh, after shutting down flights from China, he obviously just pretended that it wasn't a big deal, finally took it seriously, and then since taking it seriously, has done everything in his power to deflect any of the negative consequences of his inaction. So, uh, like, he started to go after... Well, first it was the cure is worse than the disease, uh, and I guess he... he, he as I said in a few weeks ago, he rolled the dice on hydroxychloroquine being good and thinking that he could sort of push the economy being open earlier and have America ahead of the curve in terms of not having so much damage. You know, that hasn't worked out. The hydroxychloroquine thing just doesn't appear to really be that effective. Uh, it's, it's, it's slowly sort of fading from the, from the right-wing lexicon as a number of studies. Fa- and listen, I wanted the hydroxychloroquine to work too. I just wasn't sort of willing to throw it all on black and fucking, you know, spin the wheel, you know? Um, but it, it may still turn out to have some effect and, and, and that'll be great. But lo and behold, I think that Trump kind of thought that he would get lucky. He hasn't gotten lucky. So in the absence of that luck, I feel like first he sort of, he, he, he seems to be blaming three things. The WHO is the, the most recent with the most action. China, which there's an element of truth to how much they withheld information, but but not enough, uh, you know, with their track record, 
it's not enough to blame China to suggest somehow you were duped by China, particularly after hell broke loose in Italy. He still didn't really take the actions that were necessary. And even since taking those actions has kind of consistently undermined them. And then the third thing is he tries to blame the governors, right? And these are really the two main things that we're going to be talking about. One, we're talking about uh, his actions with the WHO. And then afterwards, we'll talk about this fucking insanity with, uh, you know, him having total authority. But just staying on the WHO, if you watch any of the news channels, except for Fox, everything he's criticized the WHO for, he did himself. He praised China. He thanked President Xi. Uh, he, he did all the things, you know, and, and actually um, literally used the word transparency in, in at least one of his tweets. At least one of his tweets used the word transparency and then criticizes the WHO for praising China's transparency uh, and believing China. So all the things that he's on record for doing, he can't hide the fact that he's on record saying them and tweeting them. He has now defunded the WHO, $500 million, in the middle of a global pandemic. In the middle of a global pandemic, he has decided to give less money to one of the world public health organizations. And obviously, the time for, the time for that type of behavior is, is afterwards, when you can have a review. But there are going to be plenty of parts of the world that rely on the WHO. I think we should be reminded that Trump, now I could be corrected on this, but my memory is that Trump refused help from the WHO around testing. Uh, and testing has been obviously one of the... It, it won't, it, he won't be able to hide from the fact that he's failed on testing. Right? He's failed on leadership. He's failed on testing. Um, he's, he's, he's done amazing on, on false hope, uh, overly positive narratives that can't be met. So it's... You know one of the things I hate? I hate when somebody's late and they call you, and they tell you that they're closer than they are, thinking that they'll let you down in installments, whereas in actual fact, they're just making the disappointment longer. They're just elongating it, rather than just letting you know the truth, and then you can adjust. So let me know you're going to be a half hour late. Don't say, uh, I'll be there in five, and then 15 minutes later be, oh, 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 I'm nearly there. It's like, just fucking tell me it's going to be a half hour. I'll get out my life. I'll see you in a half hour. No, a lot of people, they, 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 they've just left their house, but they say, I'm nearly there. It's like, no, you just left the house. Don't fucking, don't try to let me down in installments, right? Because then it's just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Huh? So Trump kind of does this thing where he's like letting us down in installments. Nah, just fucking be honest. We can take the truth because then we can prepare, you know? And that's what most other leaders appear to be doing from, from New York, or sorry, American state governors to other world leaders. They're just honest about the scenario and then we'll just deal with it. Trump, you know, constantly sort of pretends that this isn't as serious as it is, thinking that somehow that'll reflect better on him, you know? But it's also difficult to, to be honest when you, he seems to be incapable of honesty. He just has like a, he's just a pathological liar. There, there's no, there's just no honesty can come out of him. He contradicts himself within one speech. So he comes out with this big WHO, bleh, you know, and then o almost like unanimously around the world, except for the, the biggest Republicans, they're just like, what the fuck is the matter with this guy? You know, because it's all about Trump. It's all about him 
not being able to take criticism. Just watch any of his news conferences, any whiff of criticism, like what are often just really simple questions. He just launches and attacks. You know, he's like a scared dog. You know, I have this new dog, Becky. She's not great with other dogs. Uh, a dog trainer told me today it's probably because she lacks confidence from all the shit that she's been through. It's going to take a lot of serious behavioral training, which, you know, I, I, I'm willing to do, even though I'm only fostering her. I would rather uh, give her, uh, get her in really good shape to get a, a forever home. I feel like that now is my personal responsibility. That's the cost of the companionship that she offers me is turning her into a, a super dog that anybody will take. But she does lash out at other dogs, probably due to fear. And Trump appears to lash out at other people due to fear of being found out, I feel. You know, fear constantly of being found out, like as if we're all dumb enough to not see through this shit from the, from the get-go. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the testing failure, by the way, I, ha- I had a stark reminder today because there's so much, there's so many like hits that come down the, that, that you know, there's so many like, just pitches, just constantly thrown. You kind of forget how many like insane things Trump has done throughout this process. And I was reminded today, I was watching MSNBC. I was watching Morning Joe, which I don't normally watch, actually. And I am more than aware that this is not a Trump-friendly place. But I happen to be watching MSNBC. And for the record, I watch Fox a lot, too. Like, I've really tried to get the broad spectrum of ideas uh, about where this is going. You know, and I, I admit it, I'm a spy. I'm watching Fox to see... What, what, what way they're spinning it, you know? Uh, so anyway, I'm watching Morning Joe, and uh, they, re- they replayed that video, which I completely forgot, which was around the time that Trump was saying, anybody that wants a test will get a test. And I, I think Trump was at MIT, but it doesn't matter where he was. That was the time where he said, I really understand this stuff. I had an uncle, Dr. John Trump, who was like a super genius. He was like a super genius. I, I really get this stuff. People are surprised how much I get it. And it's just so embarrassing, this like insane boast about his super genius uncle. And somehow he inherited this super genius DNA from, from Uncle John. And, uh, and, but at the same time as he's doing this embarrassing boast, he's saying that anybody who wants a test can get a test, which wasn't true then. And that was a month ago. It wasn't true then. And it's still not true now. And it then reminded me of the one moment where I actually thought that Trump was like turning a corner. And this is before I started moaning about these on the podcast. So I wasn't responding. I was still in Ireland and Trump was driving me mad. And then he has that press conference on the lawn where he has like all the heads of all these companies. And that was really the first time that like Dr. Deborah Burks came front and center and it just looked like he was going to do it in that very American corporate way of a public-private partnership, PPP, which Irish love, Irish government's love. But anyway, I thought, you know what? This is a way to do it. He seemed to be suggesting that parking lots of Walgreens were going to be doing testing and Walmarts and that Abbott and all these other companies were going were gonna to step forward and do the testing and, and he made that, remember that claim about Google? And it, I, I remember when he said that, we've gotten together with Google and whatever way he described uh, what way they were going to use technology to organize data, I remember thinking, wow, maybe Trump is actually going to pull this off. I actually remember thinking that 
this is good. This is a very Trumpian American corporate way, but this could work. And it wasn't 24 hours later that Google was like, nah, this is not exactly what we were saying. Uh, we were going to do a test in the Bay Area, and it's not even Google. It's like a subsidiary. It's a it's an Alphabet subsidiary. And, and slowly, all this, the promises of this grandiose press conference faded away bit by bit. And even the Abbott test, which, you know, the Abbott quick test, which he brought out the machine in a, a later press conference, looked like that would be a positive development. And then I remember watching Channel 12, Long Island News, and them saying that in uh, Islip and, uh, you know, Plainview, a few neighborhoods were going to have these these quick tests. And then I thought, well, this is, this is it. We're finally going to get this test. And it, now in recent times, I found out that that Abbott test, it hasn't been a failure, but they've got the machines, but they don't have the stuff to test. And so that, that they're, not, they're not really being used either. So all these great promises... Like, they just don't come to fruition, you know? And so, particularly with testing, Trump, he sort of bounces back and forth between saying that the states have to do everything and then I'm the king. So the states will do what I want. And he, even yesterday he was saying this thing of like, if, if, if the states open up and they're not doing a good job, we'll come in. And, and punish them sort of a thing. It's like, dude, this is not like, you're not, you're not, you're not divvying out jobs. You got to do your own job, you know? And what I really don't understand is if FEMA is called the Federal, Federal Emergency Management Association, right? Why, uh, why is, and uh, hands up, the A may stand for something else, just, just, just in case I got that wrong, but it's Federal Emergency Management. If that's set up to help you know, any part of America in this scenario, why does Trump constantly act like the lack of, uh, you know, federal help at times has been a problem, you know, particularly around testing, you know? And it's great. In the end, all the states, you know, they got enough ventilators. Like there's been certain things that have been done, but that's expected in the most advanced economy in the world. That, that, that's expected. Well done. Yeah, they all got enough ventilators, but the whole process of them getting enough ventilators was every time they, they, they sort of made a suggestion that it's not happening fast enough, you took it personally. Rather than being like, we're on it. Give us a chance. You took it personally, started attacking these governors, not to mention in terms of the procurement of PPE and various different things, there's been all sorts of confusion because at every turn, there's been a lack of proper organization because any of the organizations like HHS uh, and FEMA that, was, that would be better at organizing these things, they came to you with information you didn't want. Like, this is a fucking shit show. This is worse than you think, and we need to get on it. So rather than, you know, basically have them tell you you're not doing enough yet, you just went and got Mike Pence, you know, and, and got, got rid of, you know, the people that you needed. So there's never really been, a, you know, a proper coordinated response to this. And every time... The reality of that scenario comes up. You just look for a new scapegoat. So then it was the governors, you know? Then you throw Jared Kushner up for five seconds. He fucks up. He can't speak once in front of a crowd. He fucks up and talks about those are ours, like who the fuck is ours, which we've talked about before. Now he's disappeared off the face of the planet because that was like a joke that he's involved in organizing 
uh, for for a global pandemic when the guy has you know skills in in, in negotiating business deals and collecting rent off companies. You know, he's not the guy, you know? And then last night, you, you spend five minutes listing off companies that are going to help out opening the economy. It's like, fine, just fucking, just just get the things that are necessary for opening the economy. Stop talking about how great it's going to be when you open it up. Get the damn testing. Use the Defense Production Act to get the fucking antibody test done. You know, you never forced anybody to get the testing done. There's just not enough, the testing is not good enough. You keep talking about you test more people in the world. You have 350 million people in America. Per capita, you're not even close to the best country in the world for testing. Just get the fucking test done. You know? And stop going on about empty shelves. Like, how can you be in a house for three years with empty shelves and not say, you know, one day we need to fill these fucking shelves? I mean, it's just a joke. Every single press conference you've said, you know, we inherited an antiquated system. The shelves were empty. I said the same thing with ammunition. We had no bullets. It's like, dude... Fucking fill the shelves. It's been three years. You're still trying to blame Obama for a global pandemic. Plus, you're talking about the fact that tests didn't exist. How can tests exist for a fucking novel virus? I don't even know if you know what novel means. Novel coronavirus. First fucking time we've seen this one. COVID-19, this particular one. COVID-19. You know why it's called COVID-19? Coronavirus disease 2019. COVID-19. Who could have seen it coming? Yeah, well, they it came in 2019, and it took you until fucking nearly the the end of March. Well, certainly the middle of March to do anything properly, other than cut off flights from China. And then even after you did it, you really couldn't bring yourself to continue to do it, despite the fact that it clearly works. You know, and now all your Fox News cronies are talking about the fact that some of these models suggested more death. So we. We, we, we stopped the spread, and now there's less dead. It should be a hallelujah. Instead, they're trying to act like it's some fucking conspiracy that we're trying to do more economic damage to hurt Trump rather than just being like, high five, we managed to have less death. It's still 25,000 last I looked. It's still one of the worst countries. It was one of the worst countries for death in the developed world. It's not a success. You know, so the fact that only 25,000 died. Were you supposed to say, oh, we should have kept the economy open? So you wanted the 100,000 to 200,000 deaths? You wanted the 1 million deaths? Is that what you wanted? Like, it's just crazy the way they constantly look at these things like they're a conspiracy. A conspiracy to keep people alive? I'm down with that fucking conspiracy, man. Call me a conspiracy theorist. I'm down with any action that keeps people alive, especially people that weren't even close to death. It's just tragic. You know, and just, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, and then, he, you know, he goes off on this, like, I have total power. I won't even admit it. Mike Pence backs him up, which is inex- inexcusable, right? Says the pl- the powers are plenary. I had to fucking look that one up. Uh, you know, it gets backed up on that. And then the next day he retreats, but he doesn't really retreat. He doesn't come out and say, hey, listen, you know, that was me. Just, you know, I had my backup. And of course, power is in total. So, you know, I'll make suggestions to the governors, you know? So he blames the governors for shit he doesn't like and then acts like uh, when the good shit's going to happen, he'll want to take credit for the economy coming back. By the way, he's insisted on having his signature on all these checks, which is just fucking sick. Never happened in the history. Hasn't delayed the rollout. Some people are trying to suggest it's delaying the rollout of these checks. That is actually not true, but it's just disgusting that he just constantly looking for credit. Just do your fucking job, man. Just do your job. Blaming the governors. Blaming the WHO and, 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 and blaming China 
which is true. China, we're dishonest. But the problem is that you can't do all this shit in hindsight. You can't say the WHO made mistakes unless you saw those mistakes at the start, but you were making the same exact mistakes. Mistakes. And then you get Nigel Farage coming out and being like, another globalist organization, that's what we need. You know, it's just like all this move against global cooperation, which has just been building up. And you can argue all day about global trade, which I, honestly, I feel like trade needed reform, not revolution, you know? But all this nonsense about being ripped off and the globalist conspiracy and Soros and the Clinton Foundation and all this fucking bullshit. It's reform. Find out what's the problem and reform. Don't fucking just like throw caution to the wind and defund the WHO. Just all these like broad strokes without any, you know, without paying attention to any consequences of which there are huge Brexit, same thing, just broad stroke, huge consequences. Never a better example of the need for global cooperation than a global pandemic. But still, unfortunately, we have these leaders at the forefront right now, an unfortunate few leaders who just have a, have a natural resistance to, to, to global cooperation. So anyway, that's, uh, I mean, it's just, I, 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 I can't even, I can't even with this guy. Oh my God. It drives me crazy. So uh, on the flip side, frontline workers, all these TikToks make me cry. So uh, a friend of mine on Instagram, we're just Instagram friends. You know, um, this uh, doctor had followed me on Instagram after seeing me at the Comedy Cellar. And we became friends just chatting on Instagram. And uh, I had noticed, or, or I can't remember how, but I had noticed that she was uh, on, the, on the front lines. And I asked, would she be interested in, in chatting on the podcast, which she was, which was great. And uh, so this is an interview with uh, Dr. Julia Iafate, uh, uh, which is, uh, she said, as the way, um, you know, English speakers pronounce it, but she's Italian and it's Iafate. Uh, and uh, I asked, I didn't push her too hard on Trump. No, but, you know, between myself and yourself, I think part of the reason why I knew she was a frontline worker was because we had, um, we had actually engaged in a few texts about our frustrations with the president of the United States. Uh, so I didn't push her too hard on that because I feel like, you know, she's, 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 she's putting herself out there to help to, to create a sense of, of what it's like on the front lines in New York, one of the worst hit places on the planet. And I didn't want to get her in any trouble, which is fair enough. So um, this is uh, Dr. Julia, and I'll be back after the ep to wrap things up. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hi, hi, Julia. How are you? 
I'm well. How about yourself, Des? Uh, I'm not bad. Julia, you're frate. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid for the Americans that can't pronounce Italian names. <laughs> so, uh, well, welcome to the podcast. I mean, it's not really fair that I've, I've, I've forced you to do this, but I... I know you from from Instagram, and yeah. uh, I've I've known you for quite a while on Instagram. But I was surprised to see that you had been, I guess, recruited into the into the front line of fighting COVID nineteen. Correct. Yeah, it's been a very interesting uh, last thirty days. So, so your your normal job is what? So I am a sports medicine physician at um, NYP Columbia. And so normally I do interventional orthopedics and like I'm a big proceduralist. I do a lot of microinvasive surgical procedures for chronic tendon injuries and take care of a lot of dancers. So you're a a surgeon also. uh, So I'm a proceduralist. So I don't do like ACL repairs or like the or knee replacements. I do um, minimally invasive procedures where you use ultrasound to guide where you're going. Oh, cool. So I'm a I'm an in-between surgeon and regular physician right okay yeah. so you're, you're based up there and what is that like up in 168th street yeah exactly so i'm my main office is actually in midtown at 51st street by um radio city music hall right but um right now i'm up at 168th all the time okay so what happened so COVID 19 strikes and uh all, all hands on deck like how do you get the call to say i know you're normally worried about people's tendons but uh, we're, we're, un- we're understaffed and we need you in the ER. Right. So the first thing that happened was um, our department. Uh, so my whole department um, was told we're canceling all elective surgeries. You're canceling all elective procedures. You're not allowed to see people in clinic unless it's an emergency um, starting today. Um, and so that was on a Monday and that was uh, March 16th, I think it was. And um, Initially, nobody was recruited to anywhere else. It was just try to do telehealth, figure out how to do telehealth, take care of your patients like that. And anybody who had like an emergency, like if there was a fracture, I would have come into the office for those people type. Okay. Um, And then about um, the Canadian came out. Uh, And then about uh, a week later, part of my team got recruited to work for workforce health and safety. So those are the... um, Uh, physicians that take care of the people of NYP. So we were getting sick. Our workers, our hospital workers were getting sick, taking care of these COVID patients, especially in the ED. And so somebody had to be taking care of them and be helping get them out of, um, you know, out of their work environment, telling them what to do about staying home and then re-recruiting somebody else into their position. And so a Around that time, so that was about a week later, um, they asked, they sent out an email, you know, um, throughout the entire hospital system and said, is there anyone who'd like to volunteer to go to the front lines and help out in either the emergency room or um, in the ICU? um, So, so when, when, when they, when they say volunteer, are they saying for free or are they saying, are you willing to work? Um, so it's quasi for free. So as an NYP physician, um, we get paid a salary anyways, but we make, we make bonuses off of our productivity. So now my productivity itself has gone down to basically nothing besides the telehealth visits I'm doing. So, so you're kind of working for free to some extent, or you're volunteering to work, but you, you're 
you know, you're still getting your normal base salary. It's just, it's only your base salary. But it wasn't mandatory. So this actually was like a, a an altruistic act by you. You could have just sat yeah. this one out. Yeah. So it's, it's not that it, um, so everybody was redeployed somewhere. It's just, did you go to the safer redeployments versus right. the not as safe? So did you? Yeah, did you? Did you uh, do the National Guard or did you go to Vietnam? You you went I to went Vietnam. Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I I I do a lot of global health missions, and so I've been in environments where you know there's um, you know it's not COVID, but it's something bad is actively happening, and I've kind of had to MacGyver my way through things because. Sometimes even if I'm not the best physician to do something, I'm the only physician there. And so that kind of mentality is what kind of pushed me into volunteering. So, okay, so, every- so, 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 so I was just going to say, take me into like day one of walking into the ER. So had you worked in the ER before, by the way? So as a resident, yes. And as a fellow. So during my sports medicine fellowship, um, I did um, some time in the ER because when you're a team physician, you're covering on-field emergencies. So if somebody had, you know, a spinal cord injury on the field, heaven forbid, or somebody had a concussion or whatever, you have to be able to manage fractures on the field, stuff like that. So I had been in the ED uh, back in my fellowship, but I finished my fellowship two and a half years ago. So I've been at Columbia now for two and a half years. So I was rusty. Um, So you walk in day one and was it like, was it an immediate like, oh shit, or actually it was March 16th or 17th or 18th or whatever, and it wasn't so crazy yet? Um, So I, we had to, anybody who doesn't normally work in the emergency room or in the ICU or the critical care unit, um, which is where all our ventilated patients are, um, we had to be kind of re-educated on some things. Like I haven't managed a ventilator since I was an intern, which was now seven years ago. So that's been a while. Um, and so we had to be retrained. So we were doing some online training and figuring out scheduling because you don't want to have too many people there because initially we didn't have that much PPE. So if you had too many practitioners there, then you didn't have enough gowns and masks and gloves for everyone, which would be problematic down the road. Um, and so we were trying to stagger who was going. Um, and then they ended up making a schedule so that those of us that were what we're calling off service. So I'm not normally an ICU doctor, but now I'm working in the ER in a makeshift ICU. So I was working with an actual ICU doctor so that if I had questions, cause I haven't managed these things in a long time, I had somebody to kind of turn to, but he had backup help. So yeah, um, so you still, you definitely were useful. You weren't like getting in the way, right? I mean, they needed. No, I mean, I hope not. I <laughs> definitely wasn't trying to get in the way. Um, no, like they kind of said like, what are your skill set? Like, what can you do? And I'm a good proceduralist and I'm really good with an ultrasound machine. So I can use ultrasound to start like central lines or um, arterial lines. So I actually went through our emergency department and anybody that was intubated, I started all the central lines on them or all the arterial lines on them so that we could get blood gases so we could be checking labs because then it shortens the amount of time the nurses are spending with each patient in terms of drawing blood and stuff like that to try to send lab work. Cause when somebody, yeah, so it's a, a di- it's a division of labor, right? So it's less exactly. people, less time of exposure. Cause the more you're exposed, the more time, the more chance you get it. Right. Isn't exactly. That- the viral load goes up. And so right. that's why those of us in the hospital are at higher risk than somebody like you just in a crowd, because the viral load for us is so high because everyone in there is sick. It's not like one or two people that you walk yes. by are sick. Yeah. And you know, you know, for sure. Like you're definitely, you're you're there putting in the, so are you, so actually first let me ask you this. So how did it feel in those early weeks where 
you're in the New York City, one of the wealthiest cities on the planet, and you're dealing with a PPE shortage. Yeah, it was really weird. I was I was angry at first, I think. Um, and and my hospital did a really good job of getting PPE for us. So, um, you know, kudos to NYP for that because that was a huge deal for us. Um, but it was very nerve wracking. It was um, it's it's a really weird problem or like I don't know moral dilemma within because you as a physician, as a nurse, as a, anybody who works in a hospital is always like, I want to take care of patients. Like that is what I do that I put my life to take care of people, but you're also not a martyr, right? Like I didn't, I didn't sign up to be a martyr. I'm not trying to get myself killed at 32. So so it's more about, um, how can I, how can I keep myself safe and still take care of these people really well? And so always in the back of your head, there's this concept, don't touch your face. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't cough. Don't sneeze. Don't, you know, don't get too close. Don't forget to put this on. But if somebody's coding, meaning like their their heart stopped and you want to go do compressions and start do um, running a code, you have to gown up first before you're allowed to go in there to start saving somebody's life. And that is so backwards from what we've often thought of. But truly, when we learn how to do CPR and how to do, you know, um, rapid response, the first thing we're supposed to do is make sure the environment's safe. And so it's just, it's not a volcano or a hurricane. It's uh, it's a, you know, invisible assailant. The invisible enemy, as Trump said. Yeah. Yeah. Cause my cousin, uh, my cousin is a nurse and what is it? Well, Cornell or Cornell? Well, well, Wild Cornell. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Wild yeah Cornell. Wild Cornell. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she had it and now she's back at work after having yeah. it. So now she does all the CPRs because she's got the, Antibodies. She's got the antibodies. Yeah, She's the yeah. superwoman. She's got exactly. special, She's special powers. Yeah. So, so what was it like then? At, at so you've been there now, like at this the peak. I guess it's supposedly sort yeah, of chilling out peak now. Was like but yesterday, I think. Or yeah. Yesterday. So what 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 was the what was the feeling like? A war zone. That's the word that seems to get bandied about. Yeah, war zone, but but a really interesting one because um, initially when people were coming in, they're all coming into the emergency room sick, but now half of the emergency room has turned into an ICU. So it's just a bunch of people on ventilators, which is creepy to some extent um, because it's so much quieter in a weird way Right. until somebody has something actively go terribly, terribly wrong. And these people get stuck on uh, ventilators for a really long time. And so we're finding that like there's these highs and lows of like super busy and then everything's just kind of stable and you're just waiting for the, you know, for the shoe to drop. You're just waiting for something bad to happen. Um, And then other portions of the ED are still filtering those fractures, those heart attacks, those um, strokes that, you know, inevitably are still going to happen. People are still alive. How how much of that's going on? Because I assume car accidents and stuff like that are way Way down down. because nobody's on the road. But like, like in terms of like strokes and heart attacks and stuff, like, is that is it a normal amount of stuff that's coming in? I think we're seeing it a little bit less, but I the issue is I'm not sure if that's because people are so scared to come to the hospital now that they're dealing with it at home, which is not great, but mm. perhaps. Um, uh, and and the other question is, you know, we have the Javits Center and we have um, the USS Comfort, so we have these other two areas where people might be getting streamlined that would normally be coming to us, but instead are getting streamlined over there. Um, we do still have a couple of our operating rooms open for emergency procedures like that, but part of our ORs have even turned into hospital beds now. Is that right? So that's how like, many people we have. So can I ask, what is the moment where you need uh, 
to go on a is is an intubation basically going on the ventilator? Is it the same yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what 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 are the things that make you go? This is the moment where we no longer have any choice but to in, intubate. Yeah. So basically, what happens, as far as we know, with COVID is you get basically this really bad inflammation of your alveoli. Your alveoli are the lowest part of your lungs. They sit down in the bases of your lungs, basically. And so if you can't get good air exchange down at your alveoli because of all this inflammation happening within your system, you that's, that's usually when somebody needs breathing help. So we're checking um, something called SpO2, so your pulse ox. Your yes, pulse yes. Ox so I know about all that with my... My good. CPOD mother. Right. Good. Perfect. Um, so um, if somebody's pulse oxygenation goes down kind of below that 92, maybe 90, um, that's when we're kind of heavily considering putting them um, on a ventilator. And the really, reason 92, is- Really? 92, 90? Jesus. Like 90-ish. Yeah. And But the, <laughs> the, the issue is this. So if you want to put them, we'll try putting them on like a nasal cannula first, see if that brings them up. If that doesn't, then sometimes we have to put them on a, what's called a non-rebreather, which is like that big mask thing that people have on. Um, but the problem with those and like BiPAP machines is they aerosolize particles. So when those people are breathing, all of this air is getting blown back at their faces and coming out the sides of those masks. And so well, look, all COVID. the COVID that's in there is getting aerosolized all around them. So now if I were to go into that room, there's a good chance that I would get that. Um, and so it's it's not our reason for not trying that, but we just have to be super cautious. And so if somebody's like kind of tanking and we're like, uh, they're, this is going to happen faster than we want it to. We kind of bypass that middle step now. And we're saying, okay, it's probably safer to intubate them obviously. Cause then you just, you have control so, over the So situation. you guys, you guys are not intubating on like a code. You're, it's well in advance. We're, of that. we're trying to, yeah, because right. the codes are the worst situations. Like that would be where it'd be dangerous for us and dangerous potentially for them as well. Now, just um, coincidentally, no, I just happened to read that they're, they're trying to intubate people less. I heard by like shifting, did you see this thing about shifting them around? Proning them. Yeah, yep. proning. So prone people. My yeah. new word. So that's flipping onto your stomach is prone. Um, and so we've actually been having pretty good results with that. And so anybody that we can prone, so some people get really nauseous and they can't tolerate it. Um, but if we can prone them, a lot of our physical therapists right now are helping out with that. That's part of like their new redeployment is they've been helping to prone people um, to help flip them kind of onto their side or onto their stomach to see if we can improve the air uh, flow into their alveoli. And is that proning um, working better than like traditional people that desat like is that working better Be like does covid problems seem to respond well to proning or is that just yeah. something that works in general so not necessarily in general but with acute uh, respiratory diseases sometimes it can be helpful um and so we're finding that it is here and we're even doing it for people that are on the ventilator so even if they have been vented we might still try to prone them even on a ventilator just to really improve that airflow because the, the issue that we're seeing is once somebody goes on a ventilator, it takes a really long time to get them off if they ever get off. Um, I think Governor Cuomo mentioned something like 80% of people that go on ventilators don't come off of them, which is a staggering number. I mean, that's really, really high. Yeah, um, I mean, it's I'm, so it's so high that you would almost feel like, what's the point of intubating? Right. And so it, it's, it's, it's simply for that chance that we can get some of these people better. There's certainly people that are coming in, and because this happens so quickly, there's people that are coming into the hospital that, you know, don't really have a will, don't really have good, um, you know, power of attorneys laid out. They don't really have 
their wishes known. And so we have to presume their full code until we can get a hold of a family member or until they can tell us what they want. And so that's also been an issue is there's some people that we're unfortunately having to intubate where we're like, there's no way there's, they're going to make it through this. There's no way they had too many comorbidities already. And now we add this to the mix and then we're stuck putting this person on a ventilator and managing them until we can find their family, which is really hard. That's what my, that's what my cousin said, that that's the toughest thing is that you, you don't know anything about these people and you're, you're, yeah. you're probably giving no chance of having any interaction between the family and they, it's a lonely scenario. It's very lonely. And, and that's the other thing with the ED. Usually the ED is very, is like just busting at the seams with people in it. But now everyone's coming in by themselves. They can't come in with a loved one. They can't, somebody can't be sitting in the room with them. And so in a way it's a ghost town and in a way it's very, very busy. It's just extremely strange. Everyone's in masks and, you know, you see everyone in their gowns and their masks. Uh, some of my residents are in the ED at the same time as me. Um, so I'm, you know, still trying to teach my residents at the same time as I'm trying to learn from, you know, one of the other attending physicians. So it's, it's a strange and feeling. have you had any, I've, I've, I mean, there's some t terribly sad, heartwarming story. Like, have you had any of these scenarios with the FaceTiming or the different things that people crying out names and stuff? I mean, you don't have to share. Yeah, it's, too emotional. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to watch. It's hard to be part of. Um, I, I honestly give a shout out to our palliative care team because they're doing a lot of this work. They're calling families. They're they're the ones doing the FaceTime with the patients if we think that they might not make it. Um, it's it's beyond emotional, and I, I can't even imagine having to do that job sometimes um, because they're just like, I don't know enough about this person. We just met this person yesterday. We haven't had, you know, we don't know their hopes and dreams and what they wanted. We don't know their families. And then they're trying to talk to their family and figure out what would this loved one of yours actually want. Um, and so that's been really hard. And we did, um, we did also lose one of our medical students, which was, um, I think I mentioned that to you a couple of days ago or something, but we lost a medical student, which was really, really hard too, because, you know, we keep hearing, Oh, if you're young and healthy, you'll be fine. Well, in most cases, yeah, maybe, but again, our viral load is so high. And so this person had this great, bright future ahead of them. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so tragic. I mean, I, like I, 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 I can assume since it's a once in a century occurrence that you could have never imagined that you would be in the, in the middle of this where most of the time you're dealing with people's tendons and it's called like life improving, you know, yes. like life yeah. improving scenarios. I'm sure yeah. you deal with some more serious stuff, but yeah. to, to then suddenly move into this life and death, just like you're surrounded by the palliative care team dealing with these like death scenarios that that's, yeah. that's a big switch to make it is it is and it's it really it makes you remember why you became a doctor to some extent because you're like there's not a lot of people that would say oh yeah I'll go to the front line let, let me be that person I'd love to I'd love to do that with my life today um but it also it just kind of reminds you how precious life is and how how lucky and blessed we are to have the skills that we can even perform any of these duties um but it's hard and it hurts. And there are, you know, I've, I've completely self quarantined myself from anyone. So I don't, my friends can't come anywhere near me. Like they're like, Oh, let's go for a jog near each other. And I won't let them because I'm like, I'm probably just teeming with COVID right now. So, um, my, my super 
superintendent, the people that live in my building, they all know that I'm a doctor. And so they're not allowed to go on the roof when I'm on the roof. Like it's, Oh, really? It's really, it's very depressing to be honest. And, and, you know, I don't have kids, but those colleagues of mine that have children that they're just like, I don't let my kid touch me anymore. Like that is just blows my mind. And it's, it's, it's painful. It's hard. And then how do you feel with the, uh, the, the videos and I'm sure you've seen it. The thank yous when you walk out and stuff like that. Does that- uh, <laughs> yeah. Those are so, so even like I, I videotaped somebody out my window yesterday, like just a ton of people clapping too. And it's on the 7 PMs. Yeah. The 7 PMs. It warms my heart. It really did. Um, and having people say thank you because we've, you know, and this is just part of life, I guess, but uh, I think a lot of times like, in healthcare, because people expect us to always be there, they, you know, they're like, oh, healthcare is a right. And so I, I don't think we really get set, told thank you very much. Um, it's kind of like, hurry up and fix me so I can go do stuff again. Uh, and so sometimes it can actually be a thankless job and um, people don't necessarily realize that. So it, it feels nice, I guess, to be recognized and appreciated. Um, but I, I think I'd say, I dare say most people in healthcare agree with me that we're like, we're not trying to be heroes. We don't want to be called heroes. I'm not Thor or Superwoman. Like I'm, I'm just a person who's trying to do their job really, really well and take care of people. Um, but you I just happen to have the, you just happen to have the right skills at this yeah, time, yeah, you know, yeah. which will, which will go down as one of uh, main events in, in, in history. I mean, it's the, yeah. big, it's the big event of this time, you know, exactly. and, and, exactly. and, you know, I mean, there's a sadness to it too, with the anonymity of all these deaths and like myself, and my brother were talking the other day and we were saying like nine 11, every nine 11, they read out the names. And I mean, I know some of those names and it's very sad and it, yeah. but it gives, it gives a, it gives a sense of meaning to these people's lives. And yeah. like now 10,000 people die in, in New York and there's an anonymity to it, which is, this is just as big a historical event as nine 11, but yeah. there's not the same sense of the victims. The victims are just a big blob of numbers on a screen. Exactly. You know? And again, I think it's because it was the invisible assailant in this situation. So because we can't see somebody to blame, mm. it's just like, a thing whereas Osama 9/11. Osama bin covid Yeah exactly Osama bin covid I mean I lived in Canada when 911 happened so I wasn't here for that and now I'm kind of recognizing how New York really truly does kind of just come together um in a situation like this so it's it's been nice to see it's been nice to see everybody really push you know hopefully I get my green card so I can stay here afterwards all non-green card doctors should be give automatic green card I would think I would like one I mean I've lived in the states 12 years now I've been in New York two and a half and I'm still waiting for a green card and it's just like I hope this maybe convinces them that I'm worth keeping I don't know well I, I don't want to keep you much longer but I I, I just I want to ask because uh you know the, the 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 narrative for quite a while was that the, the 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 prep wasn't done. Like, does it feel like things are, are are better now? Like, even though people were late, and obviously, possibly the outbreak shouldn't have been as much as it was. But in terms of you guys and PPE and ventilators, do you feel like they did eventually catch up for for you guys? I don't mean about yeah. testing and stuff like that. I just mean for what you're dealing with. I think, I think we caught up. I think we, um, now weirdly enough. So we have enough masks now, which is great. Uh, we're still trying to 
you know, use them as little as possible, meaning like you have an N95 mask on and you wear that one all day long if you can, and then just put surgical masks over top to keep it clean, um, which normally the N95s are disposable as well. We're supposed to get rid of them after each time we use them. But now because they had all these companies switch to making all these masks for us, now we ran out of gowns because it's the same product. Right. Uh, it's the same materials, I guess. And so now they're trying to switch to make more gowns. And so it's definitely been a little bit of like chasing our tail. Um, and could we have been a little bit more prepared? Yeah, probably. But, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah. Uh, but I think that in terms of that, that's our PPE has definitely gotten a lot better. And so I'm you know grateful for that. And then uh, we had an issue with testing. So we weren't testing employees. We were just saying, I think you're sick. So you should probably. Oh, stay right. Home. Yes which that was, that was a big deal too, because now we have employees that again are going home to their loved ones saying, I don't know if I'm sick. I might be sick. Uh, there's nowhere else for me to go. I'm supposed to stay home, but you live here with me. So you, you know, maybe you're screwed. Who knows? Um, yeah, and that's just such a, a mental head screw. Because oh, it's yeah. You really don't know. Right. Exactly. Especially people, you know, that some people just don't get bad, bad symptoms, but they live with an immunocompromised loved one or something. And so it's like that loved one is you know, potentially in a bad spot. So um, now that we're testing our employees more, I think that's going to be really helpful as well, especially, you know, as we're trying to get these antibodies, donate blood yes. um, to hopefully use. So, so we're, we're catching up, but yeah, it was, it was dark there for a little while, but I think we're, we're past the hump and we're kind of starting to, we're at the plateau at least. So I'm, I'm hoping we see an improvement. And I know I you're trying to go back to my normal job soon. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I know yeah. you're trying to, uh, I know you're trying to get a green card and everything, but yeah. when you're sitting there on the front lines in the chaos of it all, and you see the president of the United States sort of diminishing the seriousness of it some days, and then other days seems like he's taking it seriously. Uh, you don't have to throw anybody under the bus, but what was the feeling on, on the front lines about all that? Um, I think a lot of us just kind of shake our head and go, you know, he doesn't get it. Uh, it takes a very special person to want to work in healthcare, honestly. And if you don't understand that that type of, you know, giving type of spirit, you just can't comprehend. We're not doing this to be on TV. We're not doing, I, you know, I could find a hundred other ways to be on TV. I could play a doctor on TV. I shouldn't have gone to medical school if that was the case. Yeah. Well, you sent so, me that article. I mean, so, so yeah. he, he sort of insinuated that some of these doctors that were complaining about the shortage of PPE were, were doing it sort of like to get on TV or probably right. like this, a, a sort of a Trump bias. Exactly. And, and, and maybe, you know, I try, I honestly try not to watch the news anymore because I'm like, I'm living it. I don't need to see what other people have to say about it. Um, it's, I'm really trying to educate people. So even on my Instagram, which is normally like very sports heavy, sports medicine heavy, I'm trying to educate people on like, this is what COVID actually looks like. This is what it is. I'm not an infectious disease specialist, so I'm not like the best person to talk to about it. But I definitely know more than the average person. Um, and I can try to at least get you the right information so that you can be educated. But I think most of us are just like, we're, we're here to do our jobs and we're here to take care of people. And if he doesn't appreciate it, then, you know, that's, I guess his perspective, but I'm proud yeah. of us. And I think what we're doing is great. And I'll express all your frustrations for you publicly. <laughs> Cause I, I heard you do it before. <laughs> and then I guess I finally, I'll just say, I guess you guys must've been happy in a way, despite so much death in New York, my Irish friends are always like, what's it like over there? 
it must have been a good feeling to not have ended up in those scenarios of who lives and who dies, sort of oh, like yeah. the sort of blanket DNR, DNIs. Like yeah. you didn't have to make as many of those decisions, right? No, no. Um, we luckily had enough ventilators too. So we have, um, as of yesterday, I think we had 750 people on ventilators, which is a lot, just at our hospital, not not. Oh, here. just at your hospital, just, okay. Just at my hospital, yeah. And now today it was down to 732. So, you know, we got... 18 people off of ventilators, which is great. Um, it doesn't seem like a lot, but honestly, this is the first time it's actually dropped since this is all, all started. So, are you saying that 18 people got off successfully or 18 mm-hmm. people are just no, no longer got on off, them? No, got off successfully. Which I hope they all did a TikTok when they were getting out because uh, when these people- That was so sweet. <laughs> Dude, it kills me. This They're guy. so cute. <laughs> They're so cute. I, I've never seen so many doctors dancing. I mean, I am a dance doctor. I dance all the time. And so it's, I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. But like, I, it's it's amazing to see how happy everyone is and how they all like really do come behind those patients. And they're like, you know, you beat the odds. Way to go. We're so yes, proud of yes, you. Yes, yes, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Well, listen, thank you so much. I mean, it was just, I've been talking through my arse. I've been talking through my hole, <laughs> as we say in Ireland, for weeks yeah. about this whole thing. And I just thought it would be nice to get the perspective of somebody who's in the know, but also because I know that so many of my Irish listeners are curious what it's like in New York. It was good to get, uh, you know, a perspective of yeah. literally the yeah. front lines. Yeah, it's a, it's been interesting, but um, it's been a really good learning experience, I think, for a lot of us too. And, you know, hopefully this does not happen again in the entire time that I'm working for the rest of my life. Yes. One's enough. For sure. How many years do you think it'll be before uh, the normal moaning? No, no. The, uh, normal moaning the normal moaning of hospital. Yeah. that pe- it, it, I think humanity, you know, there's a, there's a certain period of time and then you go back to the status quo. Yeah. I think a solid year. That's <laughs> <laughs> all. I'm sorry, but I do. Well, thanks very much. Do you want to give your Instagram? I know you have, you have, a, you have a work Instagram. That's up to you oh, if you sure. want. sure. Yeah. If people have questions, I'm fine. Uh, it's Columbia Dance Medicine. So... C-O-L-U-M-B-I-A, like Columbia University, not Columbia, the country. And then uh, dance medicine, all one word. Uh, That's my my work IG. And so people can uh, follow me on there. And if they have questions, you know, I can't answer you right away, I guarantee, but I can I can get back to you within 24 hours. The problem is that it's guaranteed they're not going to be COVID questions. They're going to be like... My left knee, I just have a little bit of, you know. Yeah, the, the, like, be, make a telehealth visit. The, being <laughs> a physical, be, doing physical therapy is one of those, like you say you're a comedian and people want to tell you a joke. And yeah. You say you're a physical therapist and people tell you some ailment, some some physical pain uh, that yeah. they have in their body. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, yeah. So our phys- I have physical therapists that are awesome and I always like, I'm like, oh, you have PT questions? I'm going to send you to my physical therapist. And like, <laughs> If you need if you need surgery, I got you. You know, uh, or if you need an injection or something, that's that's kind of my. Oh yeah, I would take an I would take I would take an injection my left hip. But anyway, we'll talk about that another time. (laughs) I got you. Once this all goes away, I will fix you up. I promise. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You got it. No problems. Good stuff. And now you can you can say goodbye here and goodbye on the podcast. Thank you. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks. So thanks, guys. Thank you, Dr. Julia Yafate. Uh, chat to her on Instagram if you want. Um, give us five stars on iTunes. Subscribe. Leave a comment. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Subscribe to the, uh, to the YouTube. Uh, just so you know, the Shift Podcast videos will be heading over to uh, the Shift Podcast on Patreon. Katie is looking after that. All the money for the Patreon during the pandemic. 
Uh, during the shutdown, goes to Katie because she has zero income right now. Whereas I was actually halfway through my Irish tour, so I, I, I did I wasn't left too high and dry, to be honest with you. So all that money will be going to uh, Katie. Uh, so do check that out. Um, hit me on, hit me up on Instagram at Des Bishop. We'll be back later in the week with uh, most likely another episode with Stephen Mullen. Uh, because the Zoom calls work out really well, I'm going to try to get uh, a few of my favorite comics on just to have the crack, uh, keep things ticking along. My mission is to have three episodes a week. We haven't really established, we haven't really established a uh, a schedule during the shutdown. I've just been doing a lot of apps, but you know, I, I really feel like three episodes a week is good for the for the Des Bishop podcast. Uh, so I'll try to keep that up. Uh, I hope you don't mind that we have like specific days or whatever, because it really just sort of depends on who I get but anyway three episodes a week and um, yeah if you listen on Spotify take a screenshot put it up tell everybody about the podcast like to spread the word we have beginning getting an increase of listeners throughout the weeks of the lockdown so be great to keep that going so do spread the word Um, I understand that some people love these Trump rants some people can take them or leave them Uh, of course just you know you don't have to listen to those ones specifically but I do get a lot of requests for them uh, since we have three a week, there's pretty much something for everybody. So uh, I hope everybody's happy with that. And um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll chat to you guys soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.